Well, during the um, lockdowns and isolation times of the last year or two, it said that some people, um, and some people I know too, got into sourdough making. Anyone, sourdough bread, anyone confess to that? Anyone have a go? Yeah, okay, a few. Or perhaps um, some other culinary delights in the kitchen. Well, of course, that's not um, really my thing, I must confess. But I did two things which actually don't really go together. Uh, I got a rescue cat who is still thriving, and very strangely the other day at the vets is double the weight of when I got her. Whoops. <laughs> and then I rescued some plants. Now, you know how you go to the warehouse or might attend for something completely different, and then they have this section which is potted colour, and of course they're very, you know, and they're just the things that are on sale. Or you go for a walk in the gardens and you think you're doing really well. And then they have this $5 selection and you see something there and you think, you know, you, you feel sorry for things. Well, at least I do. And usually, of course, when you get them home, you realize they're already perhaps on the wilt or whatever. But anyway, you think, no, I'm going to work miracles with this. I'm going to uh, take it home like another little orphaned kitten and talk to it and um, promise that I'll give it lots of sunlight and water and healthy soil. And of course, I would do my best to pay attention to each plant. And then I downloaded an app on my phone that would allow me to take a photo to find out what its name was. And, um, and then if it had any ailments or weird things, you could take a photograph and it would tell you what, it was, what was wrong with it. Um, but the reality, of course, is we get back to normality and business and you'd forget to water the plants or you'd overwater them or some of them get this sort of weird fungus thing in the soil or the leaves start going weird uh, colours, not to mention becoming prey to said cat who likes to have a bat at various plants and sort of cause a whirlwind of, of falling leaves. And there's one plant in particular which started off beautifully but then went completely limp. And no matter how much sun or water or whatever I offered to do to it, nothing seemed to work. And of course, the logical thing would be to toss out the ones that looked like they weren't going to make it. Uh, but I just can't. Sometimes I put them outside because I just can't bear to look at them any longer. And probably that kills them off even, even more quickly. But I think somehow that that gardener in Jesus' parable understands me. Sir, let it alone for one more year till I dig around it and put some manure on it. The gardener believes that if he moves the dirt around a bit more, enriches it with fertilizer, gives it a bit more TLC, something might happen. Let me keep trying, uh, not for the sake of my ego, although maybe that's part of it, but for the sake of life, of wanting to see life. Give it another chance. Because yes, I know what it means when someone gives me another chance. And I know what it means when God doesn't give up on me and gives me another chance. But I want to go back to the beginning of today's gospel reading just before we get to the fig tree, because it's a little bit uh, problematic. And the key issue with which the, the passage deals is the problem of apparently undeserved human suffering. It's a biggie. And it's a topic that's right on our radar as we look on in grief and anger and despair at times at the war in Ukraine and the innocent suffering of so many. And that topic of human suffering is actually an issue that's been around at least as long as Christianity and in fact much earlier. It's a question that philosophers and scholars and theologians of every age and culture have grappled with. And it's wrestled with in the pages of the Old Testament, above all in the book of Job, but in others as well. 
and it was certainly explored in all the cultures over time. There's even a whole branch of Christian theology that explores the problems of suffering and evil in the world, and where does God fit with that? It's called theodicy. And one of the books that I've acquired recently was for a book club session that actually, you know how it is that um, book clubs are wonderful, but I'm just not terrible. I, I get the book and then it's uh, the challenge is whether I actually get to the session. And I didn't get to this one, but it's simply called Why Is There Suffering? And it engages, it's not too long, but uh, it engages with several aspects of this vital and important and urgent topic today. But it does so in an intriguing way. Some of you might have enjoyed, or perhaps your children do, those novels that are pick your own path. And you can choose um, at the end of every chapter from several options as to, and your decision determines where you then go in the book after that. And this book on suffering is the same. Um, at the end of every chapter, you can choose which aspect you want to explore next. And it looks to me like a great read on a tricky topic. And I was trying to work out whether a group could read it together if they all took different paths. I was sort of wondering how that might work. But maybe a group of you would like to have a crack at it. Because if we look again at our gospel passage in Luke, there are two different sorts of suffering that are referred to. The first is just horrendous. Uh, it's the killing by Pilate, the Roman governor, we know him well, Pontius Pilate, of a number of people from Galilee when they were in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, worshipping and offering sacrifices. And that suffering is caused directly by the evil actions of a human being. And it reminds us so much here, doesn't it, of the tragic killing in our own city so recently of 51 Muslim worshipped prayer and perhaps of wider events going on in our world. The second example referred to a form of natural disaster. It was the fall of a tower in a part of Jerusalem called Siloam. And I've been there. You can still see the ruins of that area. And I guess, well, there might have been an element of shoddy workmanship that caused that collapse. But it's also quite possible that it was caused by an earthquake as there uh, not at all uncommon in that area of Israel going down through the Rift Valley uh, right down into Africa. And again, of course, we don't have to look far to recall that similar tragedy in our city during the quakes just 11 years ago. So in, in terms of how most people think about the problem of suffering and evil, I suspect that the first kind, the suffering which is caused by someone, um, or by some evil human action, in some ways it's easier to um, understand, not to accept, but we get when someone does something violent or evil which causes suffering to someone else, we can understand the maths, if you like. Um, explaining it, of course, doesn't excuse it at all or minimise it at all, but we can sort of see the connection. But when someone is hurt or killed in what is an what we call a, a natural disaster or an accident or an illness or what insurance companies mysteriously call an act of God, we really struggle with it, don't we? And in fact, this is the most common objection that people put up to the possibility of faith in God. How can a good God allow such suffering to go on in the world? Read the book. 
<laughs> of course, we come into areas of discussion of free will and that we're not puppets and God allows us to make choices that have consequences. Big issues. Now, in relation, when we come back to our gospel, Jesus' first comments seem quite hard and quite harsh. And we think, particularly in Luke's gospel, Jesus is one, a person of great compassion and love and empathy and feeling for people. But there doesn't seem to be much compassion when Jesus says, well, you know, he almost seems to suggest that everybody is guilty and almost deservedly has been punished. He doesn't quite get that far, but it would be easy to push it that far. And the only question seems to be really whether others are going to repent to avoid a similar fate. And we do know that such a viewpoint echoes uh, certain strands within the Old Testament which consider suffering as a punishment for sin. That is also in many cultures, many cultures around the world. Although we need to say that there are many other strands in the Old Testament that challenge that completely. It is not that simple as the book of Job reminds us. So was Jesus just echoing the views of his time that suffering must somehow be people's own fault, that they in some way must have done something wrong to deserve it? And yet, that's not quite the end of the story, and here comes the fig tree. Jesus tells that parable, a barren tree being offered one last chance to prove itself by bearing fruit, and that last chance is offered due to the pleading of the gardener. One thing to ponder is that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible talks about gardens. From the Garden of Eden, that lovely picture, to the river and fruit trees of the new creation in Revelation. And while we, as are called most of all, of course, to steward and look after God's creation, in some ways God is the original gardener. And when in a few weeks we come to the familiar gospel of Easter Day, when Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Jesus, it's in a garden. And she assumes that Jesus is the gardener. It's a mistake, but it actually contains within it a very deep truth. Jesus is the gardener of the new creation, the one who gives second chances and more, who helps us to grow and bear fruit, who waters us with the waters of new life, of baptism, as we've done with young Graham today. So I want to suggest then that Jesus in his fig tree story is hinting that God is refusing to be bound by any narrow black and white logic that would correlate suffering on one hand with sin and punishment on the other. It is just not as simple as that. Love will ultimately find a way that's beyond human ways and understanding, as Isaiah told us. Isaiah, in that wonderful passage, God never ceases to call to us, to offer us grace, to offer us living water, to offer us rich food, life in abundance, and we are called to share that with God's world. There's a lovely verse in a hymn which talks about the wideness of God's mercy, which is an interesting thought, uh, the wideness of God's mercy. The love of God is broader than the measures of our minds. The heart of the eternal God is most wonderfully kind. So let's give thanks today for God's heart of kindness, of grace, of love, of mercy 
shown to us in Jesus, the gardener today. Amen.